and a friend of this church. Join me in welcoming Randy Hurst as he comes. Thank you. I'm excited to be back at People's Church since I've been here 17 times. I have nothing new to say, so we're going to receive the faith promises, and not really. But, uh, you know, over these 20 years, it's been wonderful to see. I know that so many of your lives have been blessed. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been around to a lot of places. You people are exceptionally blessed to have Scott and Bonnie Erickson as your pastors. I just want you to know that. Amen. And not only have they blessed your lives, it's incalculable how many lives around the world through the ministries, especially of the more than 200 missionaries. Think of that, more than 200 missionaries that represent you around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And, uh, you know, some of you might remember, maybe a few, missionary Mike McLaughlin, he's been here a couple of times, missionary to Africa. And uh, I was having dinner with him this last week. He's now retired in Wyoming. And uh, he told me just a couple of weeks ago, his plumber in Wyoming had a fabulous thing happen to him. Many years before, the plumber's uncle had given him an old watch that he had. And uh, so the plumber just put it in his drawer, you know. And uh, many years later, just a couple weeks ago, he was talking to a friend of, oh, yeah, I've got an old watch my uncle gave me. What kind is it? He said, I think it's a Rolex or something like that. He said, have you ever checked and seen what it's worth? And he said, no, I haven't. He said, well, you know, there are Rolex dealers you could check with. And uh, so he looked it up, called the Rolex dealer, looked it up online, and uh, said, I've got this old watch. wonder what it's worth. And the guy said, can you give me the serial number? It's right on the back. So they, he gave him the serial number. And the guy said, where do you live, the Rolex dealer said. He said, I live in Powell, Wyoming. He said, what's your nearest airport? I'd like to meet you there. And he said, why? He said, I'd like to buy your watch. I'll bring cash. He said, well, how much are you willing to pay me? He said, uh, $65,000 would be okay. Hello? How many love to have an uncle leave you a $65,000 watch? I looked online. Something happened in Oregon in January this year. By the way, today we're talking about heavenly values. And in Oregon in January, there were some thieves broke into a home and stole a, an American coin collection worth more than $100,000 that this family had collected over many years. And the thieves were caught, but not until they had taken that more than $100,000 worth of coins, put them into a coin counting machine, and got $540 for it, spent part of it on pizza. How many think they didn't get it? about value. We're talking about values. And I want to share with you, in my cell phone, down on the front row, I have what are called daily texts in my notes section, that as I'm reading the God's Word, and the Spirit quickens, you know what quicken is not talking about your software for your taxes, by the way. That's an old term for bringing life to. How many have been reading the Bible, and the Holy Spirit brings life to a passage of scripture. Well, you know what? I just appropriate that, copied into my notes, and in my daily, the morning, I start my time in the Word of God, and I start it with prayer, and I have a whole list of people I pray for, but I go through all these texts. And this morning, I'm just going to share 
out of some of those texts I've never really preached on before, and I'm starting with these two in Matthew's chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. I think they'll put it on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, Jesus often in parables will give more than one story in the same parable to make the same point. And basically, these two back-to-back little stories comprise one parable that's making one primary point, and it's this simple, that the kingdom of heaven is worth all that you possibly can have, and then some. There's nothing you can have in life that can compare to the value of the kingdom of heaven. How many see this? Now, I want to go to another text in my daily text. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, And I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I love the wording there. You probably heard it literally translated things above, but I like what the New Living Translation says. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, how many have been raised to new life with Christ? Then that applies to you. Set your sights on, I love this, the realities of heaven. Do you know, folks, heaven is not a dream Heaven is a reality, and it uses this plural. There are realities in heaven, things that are very real about the kingdom of heaven, about this invisible kingdom, and yet in ways that we see manifested visibly visibly in this world. But notice this about the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, And the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. If you'll notice, there were probably other people who walked through that field and never discovered the treasure. There were others who had been to where that pearl of great price was for sale And they did not see its value as that one person did who saw its great value and said, this is worth everything that I have. May I tell you, though we are compelled, as the theme says, to share the gospel around the world, Jesus let us know the majority of people would not enter through the narrow gate onto the narrow road. The majority don't find the treasure. They don't find the value of the realities of heaven. There's another parable that Jesus gives that the publishers, if you look in your Bible, they kind of divide it up and make it into three parables, but it's really only one parable. It's found in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, this parable that Jesus gave came about because the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for who he was hanging out with. Now, you say, I've never heard hanging out in the New Testament. Well, listen, that's my paraphrase. But that was the real issue. 
why the Pharisees did not like the fact that Jesus hung out with sinners. And they were grumbling at who he was spending his time with. And the, the issue was that they did not understand and see, understand the value of those as Jesus saw the value of those. And what Jesus was saying to those Pharisees by this parable is, you guys don't get it. You do not understand how the Father feels about sinners. Now, you know the passage of Scripture well, and most publishers divide it into three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the what? Prodigal son, okay? I have to tell you, prodigal is not the right word to put there. I don't know who came up with the title for that story, the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know that it's become so well known that if you ask someone what does a prodigal mean, they think it's someone who ran away from home. Would you agree? That's not what a prodigal is. You see, the, in King James English back in that time, in the version when it was first became popularly known, this story is a prodigal son, what a prodigal was was a wasteful spender. Look it up in the dictionary. Now, it's true that the lost son wasted his inheritance. Would you agree? How many thinks that's the most important part of the story? No way. If the issue of the story was wasted money, the father would not have spent a bunch more money having a party for the kid when he came back home. You see, the value was not in the money that was lost. It was in the son that was lost. It's the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. You see, what Jesus was sharing was how God, how heaven values the lost. Now, you remember the story of the lost sheep? One sheep wanders away, and there are 99 safely in the fold. And there's a powerful statement in that first story. And I'll come back to it again later. But you see, the shepherd goes, finds the one sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and comes back rejoicing because he found a sheep that was lost. And then the woman, now it's not one in a hundred, it's one in ten. She had ten coins, lost one coin. She sweeps the whole house until she finds that one coin. She's so excited, she calls her neighbors together and said, the coin I lost, I found. Rejoice with me. Then he comes to the story of the lost son. And that's a lot longer story, so I want to zero in on a couple of particular parts. And you know the story how the younger son comes and says, give me my part of the inheritance, which, by the way, was another way of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, and I already had what's coming to me. So he gives him his inheritance. He goes into a far country. He wastes it. He ends up feeding the pigs. He's hungry. And then in the Greek, it says it very clearly. It uses a reflexive pronoun. It says when he's out there with the pigs, he came to himself. That's literally what it says. He came to himself. May I tell you, friends, when you are away from home, when you are away from your father, you are not yourself. And he realized who he was, what he had lost, that he was lost, and when he came to himself, he said, 
My father's servants are better off than I am. And then he composes a three-point speech. He said, I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say this. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Number two, I am not worthy to be your son. Number three, make me one of your hired servants. Remember the three-point speech. So he makes his way home, and I love it where it says the father saw him while he was still a long way off. Many of you, God saw you when you were a long way off because he was watching for you. Some of you have loved ones and, and friends who are a long way off. I want you to know the Heavenly Father, no matter how far off they are, the Heavenly Father is watching for them. The Father loves them. The Father cares about them because they're lost. And he saw his son coming. And this is one of my favorite parts. The father does not wait for the penitent son to make his way to the father. When the father sees the son, he runs to the son. Now, when I go to London, there are a couple places I always go. I didn't say this one in the first couple of services. I always go to John Wesley's house and chapel in northeast London, and I go to John Wesley's grave, and I go there to contemplate what God can do through the life of one person who totally sells out to him. And the second place I usually go is to the National Gallery at Trafalgar Square, which has wonderful paintings, and I go see my favorite painting. I've got a print of it on our dining room wall, have since the first year of our marriage. It's the marriage of Giovanni Arnolfini, my Jean Van Eyck, a Flemish painter. And I also go and see another famous painting in the National Gallery in London called The Prodigal Son. And it shows an old white-haired man standing and a young boy in rags on his knees with his his arms around the, the legs of his father, and the father has his hand on the shoulder. It's a beautiful picture, but it's not what the Bible says happened. You see, the son did not run and fall on the father. The father ran and fell on the son. He was so overcome with emotion, his knees buckled, and he falls, and this prodigal son in filthy rags has to catch him or his father would have fallen on the ground, but he fell on the son. And then after that wonderful embrace, speech time. And remember the three points he rehearsed? He says, Father, I've sinned. Number two, I'm not worthy to be your son. And then something happens. And for years, I have to tell you, I read this story, I, have, I never caught it. Because it's not there. What is so powerful is what is not there. The son never says to the father, make me one of your hired servants. Because the father interrupts him and says, bring my best robe. Bring the ring. Put it on his finger. You think that's accident? No. Jesus is the one that told the story. What Jesus was saying is, not only do you not have to pay your way back to the Father, you can't pay your way back to the Father. It is by grace. It is his love. It is his gift. 
I see several things about what heaven values in this parable. And it's really why we are, as the theme says, compelled to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. First is that heaven values the lost. For the past 23 years, I've had the privilege of traveling to more than 100 countries and seeing incredible things that, that God has done. Your pastor has been in many countries of the world, and he could tell you, when you see it at first hand, you wish you could just take someone with you and let them see it. And there are so many things I could tell you about how powerful God works through the life of individuals to reach the lost. But I'll take you to a country I can't name because it's a place where it's still against the law to preach the gospel in public. And a number of years ago, it was against the law to preach the gospel even in a church. And the church has had to meet underground. And a, a pastor friend of mine, his first name is Paul. Pastor Paul served three prison terms in 25 years for preaching the gospel. After he served his first sentence, they let him out. He started preaching the gospel again. So they arrested him, put him back in prison. Second term, he finished out his sentence. They let him out. He started preaching the gospel again. Is there a pattern here? But in each of his imprisonments, he also preached the gospel in prison and led numbers of his fellow prisoners to the Lord. In fact, in another country that I cannot name, where it's very restricted concerning preaching the gospel, one of our Assemblies of God pastors a few years ago was released from prison at the request of the prison warden who wrote the governor of the province and said, please release this man from my prison. He has started a church in my prison. He's more dangerous in the prison than he is out of the prison because the prisoners can't get away from him when he is preaching at them. So they let him go. Back to Pastor Paul. In Paul's third imprisonment, he led 42 of his fellow prisoners to Jesus and two of his prison guards. What I want to talk to you about is one of those 42. His name is Young. Young was a drug dealer. And shortly after he got to prison, came into prison, Pastor Paul led him to Jesus. Shortly after that, Young was filled with the Holy Spirit. A few weeks later, he came to Pastor Paul, and he said, in the night, Jesus spoke to me that he is calling me to preach the gospel. Paul said, that's wonderful, Young. When you and I are released from prison, you can come to my town to go to Bible school. And I will tell you, in that country at that time, if you went to Bible school, it moved every day. The class moved to a different house every day. So if you missed class, you don't know where the school is the next day. Okay? But they had to keep it around because the Bible school was underground. Well... Four months after Paul was released, Chung was released, true to his word, came to Paul's town to go to Bible school. There were only two weeks left in the semester, and Paul said, now you can't get credit for these two weeks, but you can attend the classes. Then we have a one-month holiday break. You go to your hometown, back return home, and then you can come back in a month to go to Bible school, but you must fulfill this requirement to get into the Bible school. You must lead five people to Christ, and they must be baptized in water. Well, Hyung's home was 200 miles north of where Pastor Paul lived. Three weeks later, on a long-distance phone call, he called Pastor Paul and said, Pastor Paul, will you come to my town and baptize those I have led to Christ? Paul said, do you have five? Hyung said, no. 
Paul said, then I will not come. It is 200 miles journey by train. I will not come baptize them until you have five. Young interrupted him. He said, no, 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 Pastor Paul. I have more than five. Paul didn't ask him how many he, he had uh, led to the Lord. Two days later, Paul took the two 100-mile train journey up to Young's hometown to the baptism service by the river and baptized, not five, but 753 in three weeks. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> Young had not had personal evangelism 101 yet. He did not know the four spiritual laws. He did not know the Romans road. All of those things are wonderful to know. But the most powerful knowledge you have in evangelism is not what you know. It is who you know. And if you know Jesus, you have a story to tell to anyone who doesn't know him. And he simply told the story of Jesus, how Jesus rose again from death. You say, how can you lead someone to be a Christian just telling them the story of Jesus? Because it's not your job to convince one non-believer to become a Christian that's the Holy Spirit's job your job is to tell the gospel to tell the good news and the Holy Spirit is the one who activates faith in the heart illumines the mind to the truth of God's Word and brings someone to salvation listen let me tell you friends God has provided everything needed to reach the lost. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be done in our ability. It's going to be done in His ability, but it'll be done through our obedience. So heaven values the lost. But notice there's something else heaven values. Heaven values the one. You notice the first story, it was about one sheep. The second one, it's about one coin, and it's about one son. The kingdom of heaven is built one person at a time. You see, we tend to look at crowds, and we love to see the crowds. But you know what? God sees the individual. He knows each heart. A few years ago, it was my privilege to preach the 100th anniversary of Pentecost in the Netherlands, in Holland, and it was a hundred years since the time they knew of the first person they knew of in Holland who had experienced spirit baptism. It was a woman. And a hundred years later, and I had written a book on the Holy Spirit that had been published in Dutch, and so it was in all the bookstores all over Holland. So my name was known because I was an author there. So they asked me to preach the 100th anniversary of Pentecost, and they took a big step of faith. They rented the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam and asked me to preach and by the way you can show that little clip mark that's the Olympic Stadium and and that's most of the crowd you don't see this side of the stadium as well but 25,000 attended that event and I want to tell you it was exciting to preach to 25,000 people and by the way there are many that came forward to receive Christ and we had arranged in the locker rooms to have rooms for people to seek spirit baptism but someone forgot to unlock the rock locker rooms so they came to me after the service they said we can't get them in the locker rooms I said well let's just have them seek the baptism right down here on the field and more than 200 people got the baptism just out there on the field at the end of the service so it was a wonderful day but that evening I went back to the hotel and it was about 10 o'clock at night 
and the restaurant was closed, so I couldn't get anything to eat, and I'm diabetic, so I need to eat something before I go to sleep at night. So I went out and was walking the streets around the hotel, trying to find something to eat. And then I saw a neon sign, pizza, pizza. And I followed the light, and, and, and the pizza sign, I, then when I got close enough, I could see it was on the front of a bar. It was the Tel Aviv bar, like Tel Aviv, Israel. So I walked into the bar. There was a bartender and one guy. That was all. And so I sat down at the bar, and I said to the bartender, I said, look, uh, can I just buy one piece of pizza? He said, I've already turned the oven off. Fortunately, he spoke English. He said, I've already turned the oven off. I said, well, I'm diabetic. I need something to eat. Do you have anything? He said, I have some gyro meat, and I have part of a loaf of bread. I could make you a sandwich. I said, that's good enough. So he's over there making the sandwich, and I'm sitting next to this guy at the bar. He had a, a long gray ponytail and a handlebar mustache, a great big mug of beer. I said, hi, my name's Randy. What's your name? He said, my name's Peter. I said, you don't sound Dutch. He said, nah, I'm from Australia. I said, where are you from in Australia? He told me he was from Melbourne. I said, I've been to Melbourne. And, and we got talking about that. To cut the long conversation short, I finally got around to it, and I said, you know, Peter, let me ask you. I said, do you live near here? He said, yes, just a couple of streets over. I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no. And I said, well, you know, over this other direction, there are five streets come together at this junction, and there's a brick church there. He said, yeah, I've seen that. I said, I'd like to invite you. This was Saturday night. I said, I'd like to invite you to come to church there Sunday morning, tomorrow morning. And he said, really? I said, really? I said, now I need to explain something to you. I said, uh, there's, this is a mission service. Now, you may not know what that is. But they're going to receive an offering, a collection at the end of the service for missions to send missionaries around the world. But I said, you do not have to give anything in the collection. I said, I have the authority to absolve you from giving anything in the collection at the end of the service. Really? Why is that? I said, because I'm the preacher. He said, you're a preacher? I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. He said, what are you doing in a bar? I said, well, I'm diabetic. I had to get a piece of pizza. I had to get something to eat. Now, normally, Pastor Scott will tell you this, when you get talking to someone, whether it's on an airplane or something, they find out they're a pre you're a preacher, a lot of the times that's the end of the conversation. And you know what? When I said that, he turned away. I thought, uh-oh, this conversation's over. And then he turned back, and in, even in the dim light of the bar, I could see tears on both of Peter Weber's cheeks. He said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but he said in Australia, he says someone hurt me deeply in church, and I left church. And he said, I haven't been living for God. I haven't been following Jesus. And he said, you know, once you followed Jesus, I'll never forget it. Peter said, once you followed Jesus, you'll never be happy if you're not following him. And he said, this morning, I woke up this morning, and I had such a longing for Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I want to come back to you. But I don't know how 
help me know how I can come back to you. And he said, at 10 o'clock at night, a preacher walks into a bar. <laughs> you think it was just good luck? I went to get that piece of pizza in that bar. How many of you think God orchestrated that divine appointment with Peter? Yes, he came to the service the next morning. He rededicated his life to Jesus. I got his email address, gave him mine. We connected, and the pastor emailed me a couple months later to say that Peter was still faithfully attending church there. Yeah, I was thrilled to preach to 25,000 people, but not any more of a thrill than taking Peter Weber's hand and praying with one person that you know God put you on divine appointment with that person. May I tell you the greatest thrill, Pastor Scott will tell you this, Pastor Tom will tell you this, the greatest thrill is not up here. The greatest thrill we ever get to have is God using us to lead somebody to Jesus. And every single one of you can experience the greatest thrill that every one of us preachers can. You know why? Because heaven cares about and values the one. And thirdly, heaven values the joy. The joy. You notice, after the sheep's found, there's rejoicing. After the coin's found, there's rejoicing. And after the son comes home, there's rejoicing. And I love the way Jesus says it in the first story about the sheep. He establishes it for the foundation of the whole parable. And this shows you the value of the kingdom of heaven. He said there's more, more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous people that have no need of repentance. That's how much heaven values the lost and heaven values the one. That's what matters to Jesus. You see, some of you are maybe new here, some of you are online and have never even watched a mission service at People's Church. This is in certain ways the most important day of People Church's year. And I'll tell you why. It's when the people of People's Church open their eyes, as Jesus said to his disciples. When the disciples were hungry, went into town to buy food, and one of my daily texts is this, that right, the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, that's what the disciples were focused on. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, while he was hungry, while he was thirsty, while he was tired, because at that point in his existence, his eternal existence, he had become human. And so he was tired. The Bible simply says it. He was tired. He sat down by the well. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And the woman comes and he ministers to the woman at the well. And then the disciples come and say, Master, we got food. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Because Jesus knew heaven values the lost more than anything else we have. And that's why on this particular day, you make a faith promise. Do you have a, a card there, Pastor Scott? And you were given a faith promise card when you came in. This is not, and Pastor will explain it to you again, this is not a pledge. This is a faith promise. This is when you respond to the Holy Spirit. And let me ask you this. I said it before. How many of you believe that, that God saw Peter Weber's heart, heard Peter Weber's prayer that morning, and orchestrated a divine appointment for this preacher to meet him in a bar at 10 o'clock that night? May I tell you the God who knows each one like Peter knows each one that makes a faith promise. You see, this is between you and God. And you're going to pray, God, what would you have me do? And you know, it may be the Lord puts something in your heart and you go, wow, that's crazy. I can't do that. That's why it's called a faith promise. If God puts it in your heart, he's going to enable you to fulfill what he's put in your heart. Pastors are going to come in a moment and receive these. But I just want to pray with you. Would you take the faith promise card that we were given? Hold it in your hand as I pray for you. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, this church supports 200 missionaries all over the world. And in front of every one of those missionaries that goes, your Holy Spirit goes and prepares hearts like you prepared Peter Weber's heart for my divine appointment with him. And, Lord, we get to take part in those missionaries' ministries around the world because you see every one of them who reaches every person they reach, and you see every one of us who make a faith promise and fulfill it every week or every month so that People's Church can keep supporting those missionaries so they can be around the world. And I just pray, Lord, that each of us, I don't believe there's one person that can't do something, and, Lord, may you put in each person's heart, Lord, as pastor said earlier, let each do as he has purposed in his heart because you love that we give with joy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.